Moses, and the Phillies have the National League Championship. They have beaten the Padres 4-3, and they celebrate on their home turf as the Phillies are the 2022 NL Champ. From WHYY and Billy Penn, this is your Friday edition of Hitting Season, a Philadelphia Phillies podcast. My name is Justin Clue. I write for Baseball Prospectus and Billy Penn. With me is Liz Rozier of Yahoo Sports. Hello, Liz. Hello, Justin. <laughs> Sorry about that. I was muted because I needed to take a drink of water, and then I forgot about it. Well, Hello, everyone. <laughs> well, speaking of muting ourselves, I figured we'd open with everybody's favorite topic across Major League Baseball, the Oakland Athletics moving to Las Vegas, a situation Ooh. full of just good vibes and, and just general pleasantries from all sides. And uh, yesterday, that story took another step forward as the owners have approved the Oakland Athletics move uh, to Las Vegas. Uh, there, there are other apparently trap doors that could delay this process, but in general, I feel like the we basically went from a 98 to 99% chance this is going to happen with all 30 MLB owners, including John Middleton, supporting mm-hmm. the John John Fisher, the owner of the A's, move to Las Vegas. Uh, it is considered largely official that they are now relocating. Uh, Fisher said in a statement after the vote, I want to express my gratitude to the owners and commissioner for their thoughtful deliberation and positive votes in favor of our relocation to Las Vegas. Thoughtful deliberation, meaning the amount of time it took you to say yes immediately uh, when the question was asked, should this be allowed to happen? Uh, Fisher continued, we are excited to begin this next chapter in Vegas. I I want to thank the Las Vegas and Nevada community for welcoming us. We will continue to work hard to bring home more championships for our fans and for our new home in Vegas. More championships? Okay. Uh, And he also wrote, I know that today is a very difficult day with the vote by MLB owners allowing the A's uh, relocation from Oakland to Vegas. I share a lot of those emotions. (laughs) Sadness that our team will be leaving its home since 1968. Lies. Pride in what we have accomplished together on and off the field in Oakland. But also hope and optimism about the future of the A's in Las Vegas. To our fans, I am truly sorry. While I know Lies. today is a sad day, I hope that it is also the start of a new and bright future for the A's. So, that's that situation. Uh, Vegas is going to go ahead and, well, they sold them a $1.5 billion plot of land where the ballpark will supposedly be constructed. It won't be ready to be played until 2028. They still have a lease that takes them to the end of 2024. I truly hope that no A's fans go to any A's games this season at the Oakland Coliseum. Why would you do that? Uh, Liz, before we get into my favorite story that's come out of all of this uh, that actually (laughs) happened before the vote, uh, just get your general thoughts on this process as it moves forward. It sucks. I mean, it it just sucks. Like the... The owner's vote was largely a formality. We're not in a we're not in a, a stage of baseball as we were in history, which is where owners had their own interests and they were sniping at each other. They were, you know, takeovers. I mean, that's how Bud Selig became um, commissioner was like an internal power revolt. We are beyond that now. Whatever one owner wants, as long as Rob Manfred believes it to be something that will make him money. That's what all the owners want. And so it's, you know, it's depressing that, you know, John Middleton did that. But let's not forget, as much as we like him as our owner, he is an owner of a baseball team <laughs> that makes money. And so his concern is is there. Um, in all, it's just the worst situation you can imagine for a baseball team. Like, I can't imagine. I can't imagine being a player wanting to go there this season. I can't imagine a fan ever wanting to be a fan of theirs again. Uh, I don't like Las Vegas. They already have like their big sports there. It's they've got uh, the football team, which is, you know, an interloper, much like the the A's will be. But at least for them, they, they've been there a few years. Um, they've built up their fan base somewhat. People are a little bit more than lukewarm, but they're really a hockey town now. Yeah, that's true. Ho- you know, hockey got in there first, and they... the Golden Knights got in there. They are a new team with a new, uh, with a, a new logo. It's 
all Vegas, and it was built from the ground up by Vegas people, which is why, like, their pre-show is incredible. Like, I watched, uh, I watched a little bit of hockey um, this year and last year, and just playoffs, and like they they put on a show, and they they right out of the gate they like went far in the playoffs. Like that's an experience that the A's are just never going to have. And so, like, their best case scenario now is maybe it's just to be tolerated. Like, that's that's as good as it's going to get in Vegas ever. I learned a little bit more about John Fisher. Uh, no, he's a terrible dude, re- guys. Researching my Woo! latest uh, piece for Baseball Prospectus yesterday. And, yeah, he just does a long string of this exactly the kind of spoiled fail son business enterprises and activities <laughs> that you would expect. Uh, he really... He does seem like the the second tier villain in like a made for TV Disney Channel movie, uh, <laughs> and that's exactly on a higher level like what he's doing now. He's moving the moving the beloved home team out, out of town. But Liz, what would you say to the if you got any pushback, which I've seen from like actual fans, which always blows my mind seeing actual fans being like, "I'm on the side of the owners," but uh, people who say like, "Look, they had 20 years. Fans had 20 years to go to these games. They didn't come out." Uh, the city of Oakland wouldn't meet him halfway. So what do you expect him to do? Baseball is a business uh, and he wants to make money. So w- what is your response to a statement like that? You know, I just discussed this with you recently, Justin. Uh, on Eater Philly, there is an article about from the uh, editor and he spent like a good, I would say 300 or 400 words uh, crapping on the uh, the residents of Philadelphia and the areas for not going to restaurants more often because they've been closing. It's sort of the same situation here. If you don't put a good product out, if you're hard to get to, um, there's really no reason for people to go. Like if the owner doesn't care, like blaming the fans here is stupid. Like, yeah, they didn't go out, but what reason did they have? Like, there were times where the place was absolutely rocking. That's because the the team was good. Or, I mean, and the only reason they got good is because they managed to get a dude who saw the next movement in baseball before anyone else did. Or just because of necessity, he wasn't being given the resources he needed to build at Billy Bean, we're talking about. Uh, to, yeah, exactly. To build a team that could compete on the level of the Yankees, or I guess back then, like, the, the Tigers were a good team, I think, at that point. Like, uh, with the top teams in the American League. And so he found a way to squeeze some wins out of a roster where maybe those wins hadn't existed. But John Fisher doesn't get credit for any of that. Like, no, you know? he does not get credit. Like, absolutely. I didn't mean to give him Oh, no, not at all. I'm just saying, no, if, it was if, just if that's like, your he argument, was, he does not. Yeah. That's not him. That was not him. No. <laughs> it's born, like, the reason was born of necessity. He did not care. If they were, like, if they were good, they were making money. They are making more money, I guess. But if they're not, they're also still making money. Like, the reason he stayed there for so long is because they were making some money. And the only reason he left is because he could not find a way to get more money out of the city. And good for the city of Oakland. I'll say it. Cities have been doing this across the country for the past few years, saying, no, we will not give you all this money. We're not going to, like, Oakland tried. That's the thing. A lot of these places, before they say no, they try hard. Oakland had a huge development project. Like, it was a $22 billion development project in the works. And they'd been working with the A's for years. And the A's continued to stamp their feet because they didn't give them exactly what they wanted. Like, we're giving you this plot. You know, you already had the plot of land that you're on. We're going to let you build a new stadium. It's going to be amazing. But they just didn't get the tax breaks they wanted. They didn't get the funding. And so they stomped their feet and left. And Oakland said, fine, go. We will now have more money to give to our community, which is one of the things like uh, in Vegas. I know that the uh, Nevada teachers, Nevada State Teachers Union, I believe, is suing the uh, either the A's or the um, the state over the money that's being given yeah, I, to the A's. I was going to say that that there was that uh, those representatives when there was some more initial uh, meetings and hearings about this where they were still trying to get approval from Nevada to move the team there. And there were representatives who before they ultimately voted to approve, uh, were like, hey, shouldn't the money we're definitely going to have to spend on this go towards the many 
many other issues that are decimating our state. And people were like, yeah, it should. And they're like, oh, yeah, you're right. Anyway, approved. Uh, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> go ahead and come on in. Yeah. So my favorite story out of all this was, though, uh, from an anecdote in the Bob Nightingale write-up uh, as the <laughs> owners arrived for the owners' meetings in Arlington, where this vote to approve took place. Uh, and as uh, the owners were coming in, there were three A's fans wearing these green T-shirts that said stay with the A as the A's logo. And, and you know, they were handing out, like, T-shirts and, and trying to give flyers to the owners as they walked in. And, like, the Cardinals owner got one and was like, oh, hey, thank you, and, like, jammed it into his briefcase. And uh, they were, like, obviously <laughs> just being awkward humans that, like, you know, billionaires who don't live on this planet are when they're interacting with a peasant. And then uh, <laughs> when John Fisher came in and talked with them briefly – you know, shook their uh, hands, thanked them for their passion. Uh, and he said, you know, it's been a lot worse for me than you, Fisher told them. Uh, uh, anyway, uh, I, uh, I just want to let uh, you know, I appreciate you guys being here. I appreciate the passion you've shown. Uh, they thanked him for coming over and talking to them. And then one of them asked, can I ask you a question? And Fisher responded, there's never one question. I've got to go. And he left. Uh, <laughs> So that's the level of discourse John Fisher's willing to have with the fans in Oakland. <laughs> Here's a pro tip. Uh, if you're ever in a situation with someone famous, you have a question to ask them or someone who's you know busy or whatever, rich, never say, can I ask you a question? Because you just did. And the answer is no. Yeah. Just ask You've it. already wasted your question. Literally open your mouth and blurt out what you want to say. Period. Mm -hmm. No, never ask. Can I ask you a question? Just ask it. Well, yeah, that's as not always, my least favorite part about that, but it's frustrating. Like, dude, you had him. In situations like this, uh, I, I, you know, ultimately we return to our own team here in Philadelphia and remain thankful that, like, hey, at least they're not wrapped up in a situation like this because this is, yeah, this is just really unpleasant and devastating for the fans in Oakland. Uh, and we're gonna wrap up this episode in a bit with a story about another franchise that's in the middle of some dire situations that. You can almost relate to, I think, a little better because the Phillies used to be in a position similar. But fortunately, we're not talking about any of this in regards to the Phillies this winter. <laughs> we are talking Yay. about roster moves and who is available and what they might do. And, you know, that's that's a lot more comfortable of a conversation than, well, I guess I will not go to a game next year and then they will leave. That is, hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, instead, we get to talk about things like, hey, the Phillies apparently have done, according to Alex Coffey of the Inquirer, quote, significant work and have legit interest in Yoshinobu Yamamoto, the 25-year-old starting pitcher uh, from Japan. He has not been posted yet uh, to, to be made available for MLB teams to uh, bid on him, but... Uh, that is on track to happen, according to John Morosi. And once it does happen, teams will have 45 days to make their best offers, to make their pitch to him. Now, I feel this kind of like got some serious momentum this week when former Phillies beat writer Jim Salisbury went on WIP and said, I hear they have legit interest in Yamamoto, and to me it makes a ton of sense. I know they don't have history with Japanese players, but why not start one? Which, you know, I think that's your first obstacle. And, and, like, you see a Japanese player's name among the potential pitchers to be acquired. I don't know if you're like me, but I typically just count the Phillies out of that because they never seem to really mm. play in those waters for whatever reason. But in this particular case, it sounds like they are willing to have a look. And uh, if you want to get to know this pitcher, Alex Coffey, like I said, has a good write-up on what the Phillies have done so far and who Yamamoto is. Uh, I personally have been watching a 10-second uh, clip show of his there's really no other way to describe it pornographic curveball Ooh. that just is devastating Ooh. to granted not the best hitters in the world but still professional baseball players who can hit and you know know how to hit a baseball and they don't know how to hit this one according to the footage i'm seeing and uh yeah this is a guy who is is well known for his ability to manipulate the baseball he can make basically make it do whatever he wants <laughs> oh, I love this. Oh, uh, and again, this is all pornographic. You're totally right. <laughs> 25 years old. The Phillies are considered one of the top five or six suitors for his services, according to one you know, anonymous National League scout. The only kind of sources we get this time of year. But again, this <laughs> is from Alex Coffey's story. He's won a bunch of awards. He's been on a couple of winning teams. He has a 182 ERA and in almost 900 innings over seven seasons. Oh, my God. Again, this is playing in NPB baseball. But again, 206 walks and 922 strikeouts. 
He was he was hitting 94, 95 on the regular in 2023 with a ceiling at like 98, 99. I mean, he's easily the most appealing pitcher of the list of names we've been going through. I mean, you know, you, you see the Phillies out. linked to a guy like Sonny Gray. And, you know, there's pluses and minuses there. A guy like Gray is not a hard thrower. He uses his curve and off-speed pitches. He's effective and it's less taxing on his arm. He has a deep arsenal. If something's not working, he abandons it for the day and moves on. His pitch usage uh, fluctuates from month to month, not season to season like most guys. He was an AL Cy Young contender this year. He knows how to adjust, but he also seems to go in without much of a plan and struggles to stay consistent, both in season and season to season. His great 2023 season is not going to be easy to repeat, and he's 34, which would you know mean he would likely want a deal that takes him past his prime. The Phillies are already probably going to be doing that, I think, with Zach Wheeler in a For year's sure. time. So having a younger guy like uh, Yamamoto come in and join the pitching staff, I mean, good lord, that's uh, that would be quite <laughs> that would be quite the development. I'm not trying to get too worked up about it because you know, again, they are one of at least five or six teams probably more that are going to be uh, at least checking in on this guy. So, I mean, does your excitement level in the Phillies legit interest in Yamamoto kind of spike this week as people were talking about this? It definitely does. Hearing that they're like, let's, you know, why not start? Not that they said that, but why not start a history with, uh, with Asian pitchers, with Japanese pitchers. Like, this is a great time to do it. And the Phillies are a hugely attractive team. Like, that's one thing to remember, is that the Phillies have, a, like, a, a really good team. They made it really far this year, even though they didn't make it as far as we'd like. Like, that is attractive. Like, the Yankees, I don't know the other teams in contention. It's probably the Dodgers, the Mariners, maybe. Um, I'm going to guess the Yankees. Yeah, Mariners always Mariners. Yeah, you know, they they keep conveying that they're content to just sit tight, which is. I just assume, like the one reason that um, Japanese pitchers choose often to stay on the West Coast is because there are larger Japanese communities over there, and it is closer to their home. Like instead of flying across the country to California and then fly to Japan. Yes, but they could just take right off. As, but, as Otani like, recently said, he's willing to go to a winner and doesn't has he's putting less emphasis on geographic convenience at this point. So some guys do okay. reach that point as well. And I would if in like in the the Phillies team, the energy of their fan base, uh, that is what they have to sell him. The fact that we've been to the playoffs a lot, we have all of these guys under contract. What we need is you. Like you are our missing piece. And that would be a good pitch. Like, if you came to us, there'd be no stopping us. And I think uh, hopefully that will win him over. I think it would be awesome if they signed him. That would solve so many problems. <laughs> My God, it would solve so many problems. It would be pretty cool, uh, honestly. Like, that would be – and you're right. It would be It would be a great fit. And the Phillies have made themselves look very appealing to various free agents over the years that they have and have not been able to sign. So, mm-hmm. that being said, there's another free agent right now who I believe is – I don't want to frame him as an obstacle because Aaron Nola is still a pitcher. (laughs) People want him on this team. If you are someone who is prioritizing Yamamoto, I guess you could look at him that way. But again, I'm, I'm, I don't think he's not, not, he's necessarily in that role yet because he is a guy that Phillies are prioritizing. They've said number one priority is getting Aaron Nola back. And if not him, his replacement, I do kind of wonder if Yamamoto is viewed as a potential replacement or maybe just an addition. That would also be cool, I think. Mm. But uh, uh, Mike Axisa at CBS Sports thinks the Phillies are still the top team to sign Aaron Nola, writing, they're the only organization he knows, they're willing to spend a lot of money, and they're a World Series contender that continually strives to get better. Let's just pause and enjoy that sentence that like yes the Phillies have had two disappointing endings to their last two seasons but those three things are still true uh and they're all so appealing as followers and supporters of the team that's great uh he goes on to write Nola is going to get paid one way or another but the Phillies offer so much that other teams cannot Jason Stark wrote in The Athletic, according to multiple major league sources, the two sides, Nola and the Phillies, were not even remotely close back before spring training. That would seem to indicate that Nola's side was looking for a seven-year extension for north of $200 million, possibly well north. That would put Nola's valuation of his potential worth at roughly $30 million a year, give or take a couple million. And I'll tell you what, watching Aaron Nola, when he's 
throwing seven shutout innings, you're like, yeah. And his next start, when he's getting blown up in the second, you're like, hmm, 30 no. million feels like a lot and a little, depending on what start Nola's given you. But regardless, exactly. regardless uh, Stark uh, also wrote, rival executives say they wouldn't be surprised to see the bidding for Nola push him to a seven-year deal, likely at a higher average annual value than what the Phillies offered last spring. Now, Liz, I, th- I was thinking about this yesterday. People keep saying, well, the Phillies are the only team he's ever known, as CBS Sports wrote. Guys leave the only team they've ever played for in free agency all the time, though. Like yes, it's, they it's, do. it's the point of free agency that you break away from the only team you've ever played for and see what else is out there, see what other money you can make. So really, when they say the Phillies have so much to offer that other teams don't, I mean, yeah, what we're saying that, that they are an appealing team, they're a fun team, they're a good team, they are always striving to get better under Dave Dabrowski, but like... As far as a guy who's been here his entire career goes, is that really a strength that they're the only team he's ever known? Like, really, what are those things that make Nola want to be here if, say, say the Cardinals offer him more, like more years and more money than the Phillies? What's the what's the appeal to staying here rather than going there? I mean, it's the only thing that we can – the only reason we're making predictions is because we feel we know Aaron Nola's personality a little bit better. And that being what – I'll be honest, what little personality he's really shown us. He keeps everything really close to the vest. The only time I think I really saw him smile super wide was in one of like the champagne showers. Like he's a he's a serious guy. And I think we take from that he would feel more comfortable, especially how we've seen him pitch. He feel we think he would feel more comfortable staying with the Phillies. But as I have said, we actually don't know him very well. Like, he's not a guy, he's not a Bryce Harper that'll post on social media a lot. You know, he's not a, a Trey Turner. Like, guys who are who wear their personalities, like, on their sleeve, who are easy to get to know. Aaron Nola is not that guy. He's tougher to know than, like, a guy like Roy Halladay. I mean, even Cliff Lee, to an extent. And, like, he barely spoke to anybody. So, I think you're right. I think we're sort of making that assumption because we think we know him. But if the Cardinals offered him more, that is a much shorter flight to his actual home. Or the Braves. And that might actually, we're not going to talk about the Braves, (laughs) um, but that might actually be more attractive to him. You know, because him and his wife are having a kid. They just got married. I don't know if she's going to want to travel with him everywhere or, you know, if she stays in Louisiana like who knows so I'm yeah that's about where I am uh and this at uh, this a uh, little sort of you know check-in that Jason Stark wrote on The Athletic you know really ch- it didn't change my mind but it really made me think like I don't know I think Aaron Nola might actually be on his way out and as you know sad as that might seem I'm kind of okay with it whatever he does I'm kind of like all right I, at that point, at least we'll know where we stand. Well, I think a lot of that has to do with our comfort and confidence in Dombrowski to replace oh, him yeah. uh, should he leave. But I am I am somebody who thinks they should bring him back. Um, that's different than I felt late in the season. Stark refers to Nola as, quote, reliably excellent. As you were talking over the monster, the SB Nation Red Sox blog was talking about potential pitchers they could acquire. They're, they wrote a story on Aaron Nola. They, too, re- referred to him as as reliable of a pitcher as there is. And again, as I said, even though I, someone who was ready to let him walk after his last bad start of the regular season, who has come around to the idea that he is, in fact, the Phillies' best option, uh, as exciting as Yamamoto seems, um, you know, he's he's climbing the power ranks, power rankings in my head as well. But I would say Nola's profile is that he is only one of those things. Excellent, but maybe yeah. not reliable. I think what they're referring to is his workhorsedness, which everyone has been talking about. You know, he can give you a deep start. He's probably one of the few pitchers who can regularly give you a deep start. But still, this is why people get even angrier about Nola, because he makes you feel crazy. Because all offseason long, these people who, you know, maybe didn't watch him make 30 starts a season, a third of which, well, this year was really up and down. This year was more up and down than last year with him. And all off season long, we get further and further from remembering what his flaws looks like. And and then you have, you know, other writers, national writers are just like, wow, he's really strong and good. And he ace stuff and blah, blah, blah. And you're like, ah, man, my view is maybe softening because Jason Stark's out here saying this guy is reliably excellent. But look, I'm not trying to trash the guy. I just said, I want him back. But 
excellent is his ceiling, but you cannot rely on him to to stay up there. That that's been the issue, right? Exactly. <laughs> and that you as soon as you started talking about that, like as soon as the season ends, our memories of him and the frustrations start to fade. And so once the you know spring training comes along. We're all like, yes, we're excited. We we vaguely remember what last year was like, but it's a new year. And then we go through all the stages of remembering and finding out all over again. Because this is who he is. And it's understandable that other other teams wouldn't quite understand that. It's not that they, or at least other commentators, writers and whatnot, um, would understand that. It's like, it, it, it's not that they don't look at stats, but how close are they looking and what are they looking at? Like, it has been a few years since he's landed on the IL. He had back problems the year after his um, his big Cy Young candidacy year. Um, and that kept him out for a while. Yeah. But since then, there hasn't really been much. He's been healthy. And that is a plus. Yes. He is reliable and he can be excellent. That is how the sentence should look. Because he is reliable, but he's reliable in that he'll he'll give you probably five innings no matter what. He's reliable in that he's going to be able to take the mound because he, he's been a relatively healthy guy. That's that yeah. is fair. Yeah, when you're phrasing it like that, that absolutely, that does. That's true, and that makes sense. And you're right, that is a plus. But, but reliable saying is reliably excellent <laughs> yeah. is a different thing. Correct, I agree. So, yeah, Stark seems to indicate that the Phillies want Nola. Uh, then Yamamoto, then maybe Blake Snell, who was the guy who I think was framed as pretty much plan B if things don't work out with Nola. But Stark also appears to put Jordan Montgomery higher on the Phillies list than anybody else so far. Or at least says it would make sense if Montgomery was higher on their list than Blake Snell. He also says if any top-tier pitchers are on the move this winter, your Corbin Burns's because the Milwaukee Brewers just announced their roster's open for business, your Shane Bieber's, your Tyler Glasnow's, the Phillies would at least, you know, show up and be seen in some capacity. But it's more likely they go with a non-ace starter. Uh, if they were if they were replacing Nola as they wait for top prospect Andrew Painter to return from injury in 2025, which feels like not quite the right plan to win in 2024. It feels like yeah, it's still a little bit of a tangled mess here uh, because, you know, there's not enough consensus out there about what the Phillies will do, because for every uh, every writer who says feels like the the Phillies, you know, a source is telling me the Phillies want to stick with Aaron Nola. They really want to get him back. Another person who claims to have insiders will be like, they're really far apart, and he's probably going to get offered more on the market. And you're just like, I don't, you know, don't know what to think. All you can do is speculate. So I think we're in agreement, you and I, that the most direct route here is to just re-sign Nola. I'm on the record saying, hey, let's let's get Nola back and grab another top-tier pitcher. But that's largely viewed as a childlike approach to roster construction, like I'm a kid in a cart grabbing toys off the shelf as my mom pushes me by. Uh, that said, <laughs> in a world where Nola doesn't work out, do you want to see the Phillies chase down an ace who becomes available or put some more pressure on Wheeler, sign a Jordan Montgomery type, and wait for Painter to heal up? I don't know, because I'm I'm thinking, like, if there's, like, an actual top-tier pitcher on the market, like, Corbin Burns sort of fits that. He's been he has been reliably good, actually, more than like reliably decent. This year is actually kind of a down year for him, all things considered. Um, But if you could get someone like that who has an edge on Nola, who is just a little bit younger than Nola, and your point is to win now, like if you can get I don't know if if, um, Burns is the guy, but if you can get like an actual ace that's going to do what you need. That's worth trading a guy like Andrew Painter, who won't pitch for another year. Well, I know. I'm, I can hear the gasps. But, like, <laughs> I, I, thinking about that, like, if Nola's not happening, if he's not going to come back, if it's too much for them, that's when you turn the farm system upside down and shake out what you can to get a guy that's going to get you there. Well, if anybody's going to do that, it's going to be Dave Dombrowski. I'm a little, exactly. I'm a little wary of uh, giving up Painter still, just given the amount of accolades he was able to acquire. Oh, yeah, I'm not, Phillies... I'm not crazy about it. Oh, but... no, I, I'm just saying, just uh, on the other side of that, that would be, that's all, that's all, even though he won't pitch in 2024, that still feels like a lot to give up uh, when you consider how hard the Phillies have kind of worked to develop pitching that they could rely on from their farm system and even produce a player that, like what was it a year or maybe two years ago? Baseball America was like, this guy's the best prospect in all of baseball. He is number one, and you're just yeah. like, wow. And the Phillies have him. Oh, good lord! All right, yeah, that's not a 
I don't know. That's not a guy like you got to you got to make sure you're getting what you deserve in a trade like that. And, you know, it gets a little cloudy when the guy's got health issues and won't pitch for a full season. But speaking of not pitching, uh, the non-tender trade uh, deadline is coming up today at seven o'clock. And apparently, according to John Morosi, you know, we're talking about Corbin Burns. His teammate, Brandon Woodruff, is apparently being discussed by the Brewers and some trade partners who are not listed. But Woodruff will miss the, I believe, first half of the 2024 season as he is recovering from injury. But he's a member of that elite Brewers pitching staff who is going to have some interest from other teams. So, I mean... He is I'm, much better than Burns. Sorry. I'm a me- but I'm immediately put off by the fact that you don't get to use him for months. I mean, what if things don't go your way and you don't get to use him for even longer than you thought you weren't going to be able to use him? So that's I don't think that's a move the Phillies really do more than dip a toe in. See, that's funny. That's sort of how I'm starting to feel about Andrew Painter. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because all I can remember is the Phillies trading for JT Remuto out of the blue and giving up. Uh, what's his face? Sixto Sanchez. Sixto Sanchez. And just like he was touted quite a bit and had some injury problems. Granted, that is different than what's happening with Painter. Um, I know that Sanchez's injury issues were shoulder and sort of more persistent as opposed to Painter, who <laughs> pitched, had a problem, and then was done. Yeah. And so it, I'm, I'm aware it's not the same thing. But like I... I as much as I would love the Phillies to be able to develop, you know, develop a pitcher and do all that stuff, I'm also aware that no one on the roster is getting any younger. The money is still money, and it's still going to have to be paid. And if they want to win now, like after not making it this far this year, they've got like one more year to screw around before they're like, all right, let's empty everything out and put the pedal to the metal because mm-hmm. otherwise, everyone's going to be too old. We're not going to get there. Yeah, and I know that's starting to creep into people's minds as well but that which is terrible because we ju- we were able to enjoy one pure season <laughs> two two pure two, seasons two considering this one yes yeah uh and so as the phillies look ahead to 2024 they're also you know outside of these pitching decisions they're gonna have to make there is also a lineup that is going to be tinkered with and i wrote about dave dombrowski's off-season proclivities for billy penn last week the patterns and, and habits you see emerge of his uh, over his career with other teams who were even in similar positions to the Phillies, like the, the Tigers, when he was overseeing them and they kept going on these deep playoff runs and never made it all the way. But, you know, that's, again, I don't think that's something you can really accredit to the executive building the roster. If you build a team that can go on a deep playoff run, you've built a team that can win the World Series. They just haven't. So this was this just served as a historical reminder as to how the man has responded to various roster issues on the teams he's constructed in the past. And Jason Stark hits on this briefly in his piece as well, saying that Dombrowski has never done shopping and lists several free agents who are available but haven't really been linked to the Phillies, just throwing their names out there. He says Hunter Renfro, Adam Duvall, Eddie Rosario, Whit Merrifield. And I'm only mentioning this because I wanted to bring up Whit Merrifield because I did some looking at him for our last roundtable episode of Hit and Season and didn't get to bring him up. I'm not saying this is a guy I'm excited about or that the Phillies should acquire. I just, you know, I noticed he was somebody that was out there and is has value and the Phillies have not been linked to him. He's the, he was the only guy on my list I hadn't seen linked to the Phillies, formally or informally, which means he's either already signed somewhere else and I missed it or, you know, it's, it, he's one of those guys with a backdoor contract rule I forgot about. Like, did you know if the Phillies sign him? Uh, because he was drafted with a certain pick, they wouldn't be able to sell hot dogs in their stadium yeah. anymore that they signed Stupid. him. And like, uh, I, don't, I don't know. I never know this stuff. But anyway, Merrifield, you know, why not just show you what he can do? He's He's been an all-star the last three years. He's got a little speed at 35 years old still. He went 26 for 36 in stolen base attempts. He plays a ton of positions. He doesn't strike out much. His strikeout percentage is under 16 for his entire career, just for comparison. Yeah. Bryce Harper was taken at number one in the same draft as Whit Merrifield, and his career strikeout percentage is 21 and change. Different kind of <laughs> different kind of player, but like yeah. I said, just for comps. Uh, Whit Merrifield, we're talking about reliable players. Whit Merrifield, other than a toe injury in July 2022, is the only that's the only significant time missed in his career. Before that, he had played in 553 straight games. Woo. He's a different kind of hitter than most of the Phillies lineup. He is more patient and he could help balance out the Phillies' frantic whiffing that they do when they start to panic. 
Now, the cons are, as I said, he's 35. The clock is ticking. He is a solid ball player, but the end of his career is closer than the beginning. He'd probably only get a one- to two-year deal. He makes a lot of contact, but it's soft contact. And like a lot of guys deemed versatile, here in the twilight of his career, he's definitely more of a second baseman. So when you say he can play a lot of positions, it's more like he has played a lot of positions. (laughs) But at this point, he is definitely more of a second baseman. And the Phillies have one of those still close to the beginning of his career who was just nominated for a gold glove. So I don't know. Is this, is this somebody you could see the Phillies maybe uh, taking a swing at, or is this somebody who they haven't been linked to for a reason? I mean, I'm sure they could take a swing. Uh, Looking at his contract status, he's got him and the blue Jays have, excuse me, an $18 million mutual option with a $500,000 buyout. And so I don't know what the uh what the jays will do with that 18 million seems like a lot of money actually that would be literally the most he's ever been paid <laughs> i mean come to made... philly we'll make you rich come on wit get a get in here i mean if he took that i mean here's the thing he could want that optional he wants if the jays don't want to pay him 18 million which is um three three times as much as they paid him this year just about he made six point seven million this year. He made seven million in twenty twenty two. That was his highest salary ever. So he will take this option. I don't know that the Jays will. <laughs> so he could be a you know if he's out there, there's no reason not to because if you're going to pay him like four to five million dollars for a year or two, that's fine. That's that's not only a guy that you can have. It's a guy that if he doesn't work out, you can let him go with not a huge problem because if the Phillies are worried about losing the, you know, $4 million because they released this guy, you know, whenever this is not a team that's winning. So I don't think they're concerned about that. Yeah. So why not take a flyer on him if he's available? Sure. I don't know. I mean, is, is he the kind of guy who's willing to take a non-starting role you think at this point, because the Phillies do need some improvements on their bench and, yeah, at the point at this point in his career and the kind of skill set I just described feels like he is somebody who could provide, you know, some backup where they need it, but I don't know. I don't know if he's that kind of guy yet. Yeah, that's a a good point. He has been a starter his entire career. He is 35 or he will be on January 24th. Um <coughs> Um I don't know if he's willing to take a a, a he could go back to the Royals as long as he's not trying to make a lot of money. He could go anywhere. And there are a lot of crappy, crappy teams who need starters. <laughs> and he could be one of them. That's if that's true. what he wants, then sure. That's the thing. This is a, a point in his career where he has to make a choice. Do I want to be an everyday player and play for a crappy team? Or do I want to take a bench role with a really incredible team? Yeah. I mean, it, it's a choice. We've seen, yeah, we've seen guys enter that part of their career before who knows he's not somebody I'm particularly excited about but he's somebody I felt like talking about because I hadn't seen him being talked about in Philly circles so who knows there's a lot of moves to make and a lot of time to make them uh and speaking of time one day the future will arrive here best segue ever and (laughs) (laughs) we know that because baseball America has released its top prospect list uh it's going team by team and the Phillies have theirs if you trust baseball America's analysts uh, then this list, it's its not super changed at the top, but, well, actually it kind of is because Griff McGarry is not in this list. Uh, he was considered part of that three-headed pitching monster with Andrew Painter, Mick Abel, and McGarry. Uh, but McGarry, I, the talk I've seen around him is that he's largely relegated himself into a bullpen role at this point. Uh, but the list is as follows. Andrew Painter is still number one. Justin Crawford has climbed over Mick Abel into the number two spot. Uh, Mick Abel's at number three. Aiden Miller is at four. Uh, Starlin Kaba is at, at five. Orion Kirkering, still considered a prospect, is at number six. Brian Rincon is number seven. William Bergola is uh, number eight. Eduardo Tate, number nine. And Gabriel Rincones, the Arizona Fall League prospect I have mentioned on this podcast uh, over the past few weeks, who took part in the home run derby out there and was just one of the Phillies players on the I think it was the Scorpions they were this year, the Scottsdale Scorpions. Uh, he's not, He comes in at number 10. So I think not a lot of surprises, but the Phillies are considered a team that, you know, overall their farm team is, their farm system is not highly ranked at all, but they are considered to have um, developing talent 
closer to the bottom other than those like top three top guys. Uh, but I think even in the case of Crawford, who is who I want to discuss here, a success story for him in 2024 would be reaching the upper minors. They're not looking at him to be a major league contributor yet. Uh, and yeah. according to Baseball America, Crawford's goals entering the year uh, in 2023 revolved around improving the quality of his at-bats and adding more strength to his lower half. Now, the next step is going to be improving his bat path and catching pitches in front of the strike zone in order to get them in the air more often. That's one of his problems. He keeps he hits a lot of ground balls right now. Uh, he hits the ball plenty hard, Baseball America writes. His 90th percentile, percentile exit velocity was 103 miles an hour. Ooh. He's, now, sitting, he's sitting balls into the ground with great speed. Yeah, that ain't Whit Merrifield exit <laughs> <No>. velocity. <laughs> uh, and yeah, like they said, now he needs to get the ball off the ground. He has double plus speed. I always love these descriptions because I'm yeah. like, where's the, where's the official barometer here? Where's plus and double plus? Is there a triple plus? Is there a negative plus? Is it just called negative? Is it called minus? <laughs> I guess it is. Anyway, <laughs> I don't think it's as complicated as I'm making it sound. But Crawford's double plus speed helps him make up plenty of ground in center field. But there's work to be done to make the most of his capability. Abilities. Presently, his speed helps mask reads, roots, and jumps that scouts believe he could stand to sharpen, which <laughs> just reminded me of Ben Revere when, when they said that. But uh, in any case, MLB.com also writes that he has excellent contact skills. He is decidedly hit over power, using his speed to his advantage. The Phillies have seen some raw pop in batting practice from him and think the power will emerge as he tightens up his swing and adds strength. He has already put on 15 pounds of good weight since he signed. Again, that's good. from MLB.com. Uh, they said there's excitement about the kind of five-tool potential the teenager might be able to display as he physically matures. God, I hate when they talk about prospects like it's junior high health class. But <laughs> anyway, right now, there's Brandon Marsh, there's Christian Pache, there's Johan Rojas, and Justin Crawford still a ways away. The ideal scenario, like I said, is that he reaches the upper minors by the end of 2024 season. I mean, with center field or even just outfield in total, you know, the, the past couple years, things have uh, gotten a little more defensive out there, which is good. The, the emergence of Johan Rojas, at least as a defender, was uh, pretty fun in 2023. Obviously, Brandon Marsh is said to um, have a, well, it, as we've seen, is capable of better defense than f previous versions of a Phillies center fielder. Uh, and Christian Pache, is, if he's not here for his defense, then yeah, it's sort of like, what is he here for? Why he's is a, he here? He's had a couple of hot streaks at the plate, which were always encouraging. But yeah, I think for the most part, he is still viewed as a defensive player. So as we as this has been like the Phillies reputation over the last two years, I mean, even going into the NLDS this year, I remember there were a couple of Braves radio guys who were like the Phillies defense just stinks like it's just bad, which, which is, I don't believe it did this year. There I, were some moments. Yeah. but. That was a dated reference, I feel. But that is, mm. in general, there are still people who view that as the Phillies' reputation. I know we know that they are wrong. The Phillies are not, like, the worst defensive team in the league or anything. But how crucial, do you, how crucial do you view Justin Crawford's development in 2024 for the organization when they have, like, a couple of guys who, you know, they're still going to see if Johan Rojas's bat can play in spring training next year. Uh, it seems like they got a handful of guys who can improve their status in center field more so than it had been before they got here. But again, how, how, how important is Crawford's development in 2024 for the organization? I think it's pretty important. Like this is a farm system that's been rated lower than it has been. Like it's, it never really peaked all that high during the rebuild, but like they've graduated some dudes, you know, Stott is not there anymore. Boehm is not there anymore. Like it was understandable that it was going to go down in rankings as these guys come to the majors because they're not the Dodgers or the Braves somehow who just seem to have like an endless supply of guys on like a conveyor belt. They could just wipe into the majors anytime they want. Um, yeah. it, it is really important. But what I like a lot is that the Phillies have a, a solid plan. Not that they didn't with the other guys, but like the numbers are telling us things that they are confirming. Like it's not a case like with um, J.P. Crawford where he there he's blazing up the minors, and I remember looking at his numbers. I'm like, I have no idea why he was promoted from double to triple A, hmm. or from triple A to the majors because I think they just wanted to get him up there instead of giving him time to acclimate. And so I'm glad I'm I'm seeing like I'm looking at his numbers on Baseball Reference now, and it, they're good. Like he has perhaps negative power at the moment <laughs> <laughs> though he did hit three home runs this year not everybody's got to be a power threat 
Especially exactly. in this Phillies lineup. And it would be again, nice if he... Exactly. I think they think it would be nice for him to develop a little bit, for him to send what, like, in a Ben Revere-esque kind of way, send yeah. one out there every now and then. But, like, I, you gotta, hitting things, hitting balls on the ground is not a terrible way to get on base. You just have to be better at it. If you're gonna, if you're gonna hit that, uh, if you're gonna hit a ball that hard, it needs to be out of the infield. <laughs> I mean, you can't hit one that hard in the infield because someone will find it and then you're out no matter how fast you can run. I mean, I remember seeing Roman Quinn crush Ugh. a couple of balls. Yeah, you know, it wasn't didn't mm-hmm. happen very often, but there was like this reservoir of power he could tap into and just annihilate a ball uh, in infrequent occasions. So, yeah, you know, if the Phillies saw something they think is there, then they want him to develop it. You, yeah. know, you start mentioning five tool player, though. You know, that is that is obviously something that has a ton of appeal, but you're also like, not everyone has to be a five-tool player. No. And you wind up putting pressure on a guy to develop a tool that maybe he just doesn't have, and then you maybe are screwing up the tools that he does. I don't know. We're, we're, it's Everything's very premature with Crawford at this point, and should he graduate into, which presumably he will, like double-A baseball, Eastern League is famously kind to hitters, so it would be a great place for him to be able to develop uh, the his power tool if well, it is if it is in fact something worth developing he went to high school in las vegas which is another place where the ball absolutely flies um i know the mets had a they might still have a minor league affiliate there but like it's it was one of those things where you couldn't trust any numbers coming out of there which is mm-hmm. something to remember when they build a ballpark in las vegas later <laughs> in a few years but like i i trust the phillies farm system guys enough now I don't think they're going to try and force someone to be something they can't be I have some faith that when they chose him when they picked him and since they've been evaluating him they know what he is they know what because he I don't believe he can go to the majors without having some power he needs a little bit he needs something you know and right now he just doesn't have it I'm not saying he has to hit more than five home runs in a year but like five you know Five is fine, but he, I think he needs to at least get to a point where he can hit a few, and I think that's where they want. And the good news is that he's, he's, almost, he's not even 20 yet. He is a yeah. baby. He's, they've got so much time. Um, you know, and I know Bryson Stott and Alec Bohm aren't that old, but they were allowed to sort of come into their own, and they were allowed to have a few stumbles, and yeah. I think the Phillies now, more than any other time, are well-equipped to deal with that, both, you know, mechanically and mentally, because that is that can be a huge problem. So, yeah. and And honestly, when we're talking about a guy who's not even 20, then all we're talking about is development. He is yep. very much a, a work in progress, as he himself would, I'm sure, tell you. Of course. Uh, so I just get excited about Crawford because oh, yeah. he's the closest to a position player from the farm system who is going to, you know, a top prospect. He is their top position-playing prospect. And, you know, it took a minute to see who that was going to be because it was largely just pitching at the top for the Phillies farm system. But, you know, I'm very interested and invested in his development. And, you know, hopefully this year goes the the way they they think it's going to go. And, you know, right now there's no reason to think it won't. So uh, things have changed with some prospects, however. I don't know if you recall uh, maybe a week or two ago when I brought up a prospect named Oliver Dunn who was out with the uh, squad out in Arizona for the Fall League uh, and was named the breakout player of the year. He's 26. He was a Rule 5 pick, uh, put up some great stats in the Fall League, went 12 for 12 in stolen base attempts, uh, was in the top among the top players in triples, OPS, and batting average. What are you going to tell me now? He's no! gone. <laughs> he was traded. <laughs> the Phillies, I don't know if you saw this, but there I was, a, uh, there was a, yeah. a report came out that it was like the Phillies and Brewers have made a trade. They didn't say what it was, but that was the tweet that went out. If you were one of the Phillies fans that saw that cryptic, ambiguous tweet uh, hit the internet tubes, then you spent at least several seconds this week with your eyes bulged out of your head, knowing <laughs> that the Brewers have made players like Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff available for trade. Uh, but no, it was a minor league deal that sent Oliver Dunn to Milwaukee. Uh, and yeah, I just thought it was funny. As soon as I mentioned him, I was like, oh, that's cool. Nope, he's gone. Yeah, forget about him. That's, you might say, done. (laughs) Good one. (laughs) Uh, But another trade that uh, went down yesterday didn't involve the Phillies, but a Phillies rival who is also looking for starting pitching, which we mentioned, the Atlanta Braves. 
made a deal with the Chicago White Sox, dumping, I believe, four <laughs> players who they were kind of done with, including Mike Soroka, for a pitcher, left-handed pitcher named Aaron Bummer, who, uh, you know, yeah, his last name's Bummer, which I'm down for the Braves acquiring more guys with uh, vibes like that. But he has yes, largely indeed. underwhelmed as a member of the White Sox. But if you ask a Braves fan, the combination of his potential and Atlanta's pitching lab he will be ready to win a Cy Young Award in the next 36 hours. L- nervous, Liz? <laughs> oh, you know it. Not really. Um, I mean, the, the Braves are scary enough. Like, what are the, they're gonna they're gonna add some pieces in what? Win 125 games? Like oh, at no. this point? Yeah. Like the Braves are. I I am comically unconcerned. I don't want them to sign Aaron Nola. That's pretty much all I want from them. Don't sign Aaron yeah. Nola. It, as long as that that's that that's fine, because. I forgot what I was talking about. I was so concentrated on mentioning Arnola. Anyway. Uh, the, the trade they just made for a pitcher that uh, their fans believe will be immediately converted. Oh, yes. I was talking about beater. the, yes, the Braves. Again, it's, who knows what the Braves will do, but I don't think there's anything that can do that will make them significantly scarier. Yeah. They, I, I just, mean, it, it's they'll like win saying. more games than the Phillies next year, probably guaranteed. Probably. Because yeah. they're just that good. And so, what else? I mean, and the still, the Phillies have beaten them twice in the playoffs. Yeah. So ultimately, what have they gained? Nothing. Exactly. Well, no, so well, they can do whatever they want. It. The only time it's going to matter to me is when we're on the field. And even then, I'll see them in the playoffs. We'll probably know whether the Phillies should be going for the division or not within the first like six weeks of yep. 2024. In a way, the Braves provide a service like that. If they can pull ahead and, and get a, a sizable lead and win the division, then the Phillies can be like, all right, cool. We'll just take one of these three other available playoff spots to us in the wild card race, whatever. So, you know, that's uh, that's something that's happened. I was also surprised to see that the Reds are apparently willing to trade Jonathan India. Which kind of surprised me, but okay. Uh, they had fun also, this year for like five seconds, and then it yeah. stopped. Everyone stopped paying attention, and it was over. They're they're in perpetual rebuild. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Ugh, Sorry, I had yeah. to comment. That's just NL Central baseball, baby. Uh, and the last thing I wanted to talk about non Phillies as well. The Anaheim Angels, Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. Sorry, intro- <laughs> introduced Whatever. their. Their new manager, Ron Washington, at a uh, press conference this week. And I read a column from LA Times columnist Dylan Hernandez about it. And boy. He's a very good writer. Yes. And this is what I was talking about earlier when I said, you know, Phillies have been in positions like this before where you're just like, yeah, okay, you're hanging streamers up, but we all know this is not a great situation. And boy, Hernandez's column about this press conference is scary. Scathing, oh, it's which, a work of art. Frankly, it should be. They He talks about how the Angels play-by-play announcer, Wayne Randazzo, was there to serve as the uh, MC of the event. And, you know, there were uh, over 100 people packed into this room at Angel Stadium to introduce Ron Washington. And Hernandez points out, though, the overwhelming majority of them were team employees who were basically called upon to be seat fillers. They applauded when Washington was presented. They laughed at the jokes he told. They gave him a standing ovation when it was over. A standing ovation when it was over. There was nothing convincing about the spectacle because the purported excitement over the next season described by Randazzo does not exist. Uh, Hernandez talks about how nothing has changed. <laughs> you know, he's like, whether or not they re-signed Shohei Otani, they're not going they to re-sign Shohei Otani. Uh, then this is, all, all this excitement is make-believe. Washington, he says, was hired to be fired, which, you know, is kind of a bummer for a guy who's like 71 years old, but they're not going to be competitive with uh, the contracts like Anthony Rendon's that are still in their books. Uh, Ron Washington, his deal is set to expire before Rendon's deal is set to come off the books. So that's kind of how he reached that conclusion that he's hired to be fired. Uh, Washington himself talked about how like, well, you know, there's people outside the organization that have a really negative opinion of the angels, but guess what? We're on the inside and it's going to be nothing but positive around here. And that's what made me think like, again, flashback to, Gabe Kapler telling us oh, that yeah. everything was fine and that they're in a good position to strike after they like lose five of six. And you're just like, what are you talking about, man? Don't tell me that I'm watching the same games you are. And yeah. you know, here we are. The angels haven't played a single game of the 2024 season yet. They're months away from doing so. They don't even really know what the team's going to look like hundred percent yet. 
and Rosh, and you know they're out here trying to play this up like a new era has begun. No, that's what you say when Otani joins the team, not when he's gone, not when Mike Trout's missing 80 games a season, not when you bring in Ron Washington, the guy who, I mean, I forgot about this, but mm-hmm. Hernandez brought up the end of Washington's career in Texas after he went to the World Series two years in a row. He quits in August saying like, oh yeah, I like had an extramarital affair and also like was doing cocaine and I was like, Oh my God, that's, I totally forgot about all of that. Uh, and you know, I'm not, that is what it is, but it's just like, yeah, this is the guy they brought in to oversee this part. And I it just, you're right. Like you can just see this in, in Hernandez's write up. That is just like, this feels like a, a facade, like a brightly colored facade that's just being set up in Anaheim. So people can say, Hey, Everything's great. We're, hey, you thought we were going to be bummed about losing the best player on the planet and never winning anything while he was here along with Mike Trout? Guess what? We're not upset at all. Things are great, actually. And all it takes is the response, well, how? It, to blow it all up. Because, like, there is no answer to that. How are things great around here? Well, and then just the sound of, you know, rapid footsteps running away is really the only, <laughs> like, I, yeah, I don't see how you can even claim that. Um, Hernandez even says Washington was grateful in his excitement. He referred to the angels as both the California angels and Anaheim angels, but the mistakes of course got laughs <laughs> from this audience did. that was there to laugh. Adorable. So, that was, that was just honestly, it was scary. It was a, it was a hell of a write up, but also just kind of a bummer in a lot oh, of ways. Yeah. I mean, I I read those lines, like reading those lines about the California, he called them the California Angels and the Anaheim Angels. It really is just another reflection on what a garbage pile this this franchise is like. They've been they've been behind. They've had they've been they've had issues for a long time and they've only just started to sort of coalesce into this. Everything is now tainted by Artie Moreno, the owner, like it's all now it's all bad. Like everything is there's really nothing good to see. I mean, in in the article, you mentioned that why, you know, do you think it's appropriate to bring uh, a manager in who tested positive for cocaine uh, when there have been two memorable and tragic overdose issues like the the angels have had serious drug problems and it's been widespread across Major League Baseball, but there's a lot of it on the angels with Tyler Skaggs and everything. So like, that was something that I thought like, this is a troubled franchise that no one has really thought of as troubled because like Mike Trout and Shohei Otani have papered over so much, but with, I mean, Trout will be there, but he's no longer like, he's not Mike Trout, Mike Trout anymore. You know, he's in his thirties. He's, he's older Mike Trout now. So there's going to be a lot that we see this season that's going to be not pretty. Someone at the L.A. Times did a very in-depth write-up on, like, the drug issue. But also, the Angels are a largely ignored franchise for Mm -hmm. these reasons and reasons before. They get outshadowed by the Dodgers in their own region, but also because, because of this. So when they have issues that are serious issues that need to be addressed, I mean, they they get forgotten by people outside of you know southern california because the angels just don't they're not a draw they're not a draw they weren't a draw with the two best players in the league couldn't win with them somehow and you know tipping pitches a a great baseball podcast uh recently did an episode about the dumbest things from baseball in 2023 and if you were to say to me that first of all it was was awesome how many things how many times the braves got mentioned on that on that episode (laughs) uh but secondly uh, if you were to ask me, like, what was the most pathetic thing from 2023? It would be the Angels being like, actually, we're going to not trade Otani and pull him off the market, and we're going to sign Randall Grichuk and several other low-tier free agents as some kind of sad attempt to say, see, Otani, we're trying to win. You don't have to leave. Randall <laughs> Grichuk is here. Perry Maniasen somehow didn't get fired for that. Yeah. Well, because it was definitely at Artie Moreno's. Yeah, I'm like... <laughs> That was almost certainly at Artie Moreno's direction. Like, no, we're not going to trade him. We could do this. Go out and get someone. And then he brings back what he can, given the resources he has. And it's nowhere near enough. But what what other choice does he have but to say, this is it. We're going forward. Like, mm-hmm. I guess I sort of 
feel bad for him in a way, in in a way that you sort of feel bad for, you know, general managers attached to teams that don't want to spend. But then I remember he chose to take that job and he's getting paid at least five times my salary. (laughs) So I don't feel bad for any of them. Yeah, there you go. Well, like I said, thankfully, that is not an issue the Phillies are dealing with as there is some devastation and sadness uh, for several teams this winter as we head into the depths of the offseason. But fortunately, we're still just talking about the Phillies and who they may or may not acquire. And we will keep you up to date on that in the weeks ahead. For new episodes of Hidden Season, head to billypen.com slash hidden season. And as a special treat next Friday... Uh, you're going to get a an episode of Hidden Season on which me and uh, my colleague Trevor Strunk will be doing a, a, a what we call a dirty inning, where we do another show on the Hidden Season Patreon, which you can access at patreon.com slash hidden season. Uh, and that is a podcast where we do we talk about the dumbest, funniest, and most obscure innings in Philadelphia Phillies history. And we put together a Thanksgiving special that you will get to enjoy on Hidden Season next Friday Ooh. after the holiday. So that's something to look forward to. Uh, And as always, thank you for listening. From WHYY and Billy Penn, I'm Justin Clue. I'm Liz Rocher. And this has been Hidden Season.